Welcome to the Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 53. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And I made a baby. Oops. Right here? No. No, I was at my house. Should See, I, should I had I a couple some, of beers. Should I get some warm water? Do, no, no. Do Do you need to breathe? Do I have to count? Not yet. How does this work? Well, you see, Chuck, when a mommy and daddy love each other very much or are drunk or bored. You're having a baby. Yeah. Congrats. How long, how far along is we're, it? We're, uh, by the time this show airs, we will be uh, about 11, 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah. I am, I am excited and terrified. Congratulations. And all of my other bike buying dreams are off the table for a little while. <laughs> Um, I, I need to correct you. Mm-hmm. The accurate statement is all of my dreams uh-huh. are off the table for a while. Oh, okay. Um, you, yeah, you, you've have... officially bought the farm. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> you bought a house. You've married the blushing bride, and now you've knocked her up. Well, you know, here's the here's the funny thing about that. As we got told by everybody, you're you're in your thirties. It's going to take a while for you to get pregnant. It might take as long as six months or a year. Right, because you're using uh, birth control and stuff. Yeah. yeah, before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could, that could take a little while to wash out. Yeah, yeah. It took us about six days. <laughs> so she's a fertile myrtle. Looks that way. Ah. So look for exciting, uh, I have motorcycles and a kid. And <laughs> Well, she's from a family of ten, right? Yeah. That could have been a clue. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, this is the last episode of Will. <laughs> no, that's not true. You've got a good six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good six months. You know, there is one name that I absolutely cannot give to my kid, though. Okay. And that's Billy. <laughs> we have ruined that name forever for all Wheel Nerds listeners. And one listener in particular has ruined it best of all. Yes, indeed. Thanks to everyone that entered the uh, What's a Billy contest. Mm-hmm. But in the end... There can be only one. And the winner we chose had to be Randall C. for his encounter with a Billy. This is a, this is a pretty long story. This is a vaguely disturbing, pretty long story. Uh, you read it, and I shall provide some sound effects. Okay. Here we go. I had an encounter yesterday with a Billy, though he had something of a darker side as well. <sighs> I pulled into a gas station for a water and snack break. And backed into a parking spot next to his bike. A 600cc sport bike of some vintage, though less than 10 years old. His first question of me on my KLR was what mine was geared for. I said dirt, and he looked confused. Who rides on what? Dirt. He then proceeded to tell me how his bike had been jetted, bored, stroked, exhausted, and he'd had it up to 159 miles per hour. Fucking wicked, man. That's great. I can do almost half that, I said. He continued by proudly telling me it had 7,000 miles on it and was valued at $13,000, but he had only $3,000 in it. All seemed normal up to this point. It wasn't a great looker, but it was okay, just showing some mileage in the no longer new black paint. I asked him where he'd been riding, and he told me he was on house arrest, so was trying to keep a low profile. From the popo. I said, that'll put a damper on things, I suppose. It was then that the that a blue tuner or ricer or yard dog, whatever they call them this week, <laughs> with a peeling primer black hood car with a loud pipe pulled in with two girls, and they started chatting Billy up as they apparently knew him from rehab class. Hi! 
I tried to appear uninterested as they weren't including me in the conversation, but I couldn't help overhearing them discussing his pulling a gun on two people and how he was probably going to be going back to jail on Monday for violating his home confinement while he was on work release. You know, I've got nothing to go with that. It seems that a sheriff's deputy caught him violating, but let him have the weekend to work. (laughs) After he talked to girls and maybe coming to visit him later that evening. Good judgment. He'd be home, of course, because of home confinement. They drove off, and he asked me about the plastic thing on my helmet and how to get one. You mean the face shield, I asked? Yep, he was talking about a face shield. I replied they usually came with the helmet, but they might be available online. I looked closer at his two battered HJC helmets, I guess one was in case a girl wanted to ride, which looked to be about 10 or 15 years old. The one he was holding only had a couple screws where a face shield mounting mechanism should have been. I suggested a newer model might be easier to find something for than his strapless full-face helmet. (laughs) So he put on his strapless full-face helmet, started the bike, gunned the motor to to probably trying to peel out, but had to stop 30 feet later before running out of parking lot, and then merged into traffic, and was gone. Oh my god. I'm not saying all these qualities are in a tip- are typical of a Billy, but this guy certainly contained all the requirements and so much more. It was a great day for a ride after all. I just wish this story wasn't true. I'm going to bet that this Billy works as a bouncer at a strip club. I am betting he makes license plates. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, Randall. That – Wow. I am most confused by the idea that he's got two helmets and mm-hmm. he doesn't – they're just visorless and he, and he and doesn't – And they don't have straps either. He doesn't know what visors are. Yes. <laughs> well, he doesn't get out much. He mostly has to stay at home these days because he's on home confinement. Uh, yeah. Did he say in there why? Oh, it was for pulling a gun or he was already on home no, confinement? No, I think he was already on home confinement or parole when or something. When he pulled the gun. Yeah. yeah. He's a stripper bouncer. Could be. And there you have it, the Billy of all Billies. Congratulations, Randall. You're going to get a fabulous, fabulous Wheel Nerds gift package. Yeah, that. Um, it's probably Todd's laundry, I think. I'm not sure. He brought a bag. It's kind of <laughs> kind of smelly. Everyone else, uh, I'm going to be emailing you, and uh, we'll send you a sticker for just for entering and making us giggle. For the sheer unmitigated hell of it. Yep. And speaking of Will Nerd stickers, don't forget you can go to the website yourself, willnerds.com slash merchandise, and get some uh, stickers or other swag of your own. You will notice my cool Will Nerds cup holder. Yes, Chuck's been, Chuck's been testing the can holder. The can the, cooler. Which is very classy. It's a lot better than the styrofoam ones from the 80s when I was a kid. I'm still bike shopping, so let's look at some of the classic. We better shop. Let's yeah. shop. Here we got a Superhawk. Best offer, $2,800. Selling this bike, got it in a trade. Superhawk 1000 Red Custom Exhaust V-Twin was told it will do 150 with a 300-pound brighter. Selling to get a boat will trade if nice boat. Fishing, ski, pontoon. That's a really non-specific boat wanting. So he wa- so he's got uh, a Superhawk with a Yoshimura pipe. Uh-huh. 150 with a 300-pound person on it. That's a pretty specific, specific. measurement. I'm betting the uh, suspension is probably pretty naggy. <laughs> Remember that scooter we had on a week or so back? Yeah. Fuck that, Fatty. You want a super <laughs> Fatty's take note. <laughs> You'll get chicks on this bike. Large chicks. Well, you seen that picture with the large chick riding bitch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was that a super hawk they were on? It might have been this very Superhawk. Who can say? It could, this is a famous internet bike. Mm-hmm. And all he wants is a boat. Yep. A nice boat. Yes. You know boats. 
Yes, fishing, ski, or pontoon because those three boats have a lot in common. What, what kind of boat can he get for this bike? <sighs> I bet he could probably get a ratty fishing boat. That shouldn't be a problem. No, it's got to be nice. Uh, he might be screwed. Nice boat. Something something in the aluminum skiff with a five-horsepower motor that starts not all the time. That doesn't sound like a boat that gets and me seats bitches. seats that give your ass splinters. Uh, okay, next bike. <laughs> uh, this was sent in as a serious ad. Yep, this is a KTM 990 for a little over $9,000 in Albuquerque. Acrobomic titanium headpipes and exhaust system, 1,700 miles. As you can see, I'm not riding it. That thing looks brand new. Love the bike. So lightweight, it's incredible. Call or text. What do you think? I think it'd be fun. I think it's a KTM. It might leak gas. <laughs> I was actually thinking like a smaller KTM. Uh-huh. Like the, was it the 640? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. You, you're, those, are, uh, those are a little spendy. Well, it's a KTM, so they're all true, kind of yeah. spendy. If, if I was going to do a spendy KTM, mm-hmm. you know, that's just part of the KTM territory, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Even I, I, I hear they're kind of dodgy. Yeah. Not just from our friend Charlie, but in other places. I heard them described as the uh, the the uh, Austrian engineering is like German engineering, but with a sense of humor. <laughs> I was hearing uh, parts were sourced from questionable places. That wouldn't surprise me terribly. Yeah. So I don't know. If you wanted a supermoto, it could be good. If you wanted something you could tour on, I don't know the supermoto is the one I would choose. Well, yeah. This is mostly for hooning on. It does look pretty. Yep. And it has the uh, acropovic titanium headpipes and exhaust system that they just have to scream to the world about. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, if I really want to turn heads, I think I'm going to want the, I'm going to want this because, okay, let's, it's a custom 98 stretched and dropped. Dropped. Gixert 600. I have done many monster herd. The engine is fully built with a lot of non-stock parts. She's never been raced. Thank God for an exclamation point. Or hot dogs. She has a full 12-inch stretch on the polished frame. I replaced the brakes front and rear four months ago. The valves have just been serviced and cam chains replaced along with new high-performance cams. She has a Yoshi exhaust. Too much to list. Don't waste my time asking stupid questions. I will take cash in a cruiser like a Suzuki Marauder or another rocket. Nothing under a 600, so don't ask. I need at least 2,000 cash with your trade title clear and clean, ready to go. Has rear solo seat as well as stock seat series increase only price firm! Exclamation points to oblivion. So he's, okay, he's asking for $3,200. Let's start there. But if you're going to do a trade, he wants at least 2,000 grand. So he says your Suzuki Marauder is only worth... $1,200. $1,200. Seems a bit off, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'm going to throw this out. Is it my imagination or do these guys with the, uh, the, the, the gigged up sport bikes that aren't much good for actually going anywhere on? Um, they, they must have like really busy schedules because well, every one of them says, don't waste my time. <laughs> like this guy, you don't waste this guy's time. You know, he's freaking got to get to work. Don't waste his time. He's got, you know. He's got, he's well, this guy's obviously so busy, he doesn't want to mess with uh, a shift key. Uh-huh. So yeah. he just goes straight to the caps lock. Yep, yep. And he's not using punctuation until the very end. Uh-huh. And then he just puts, you know, six or seven extra. Well, he's, he's busy. He's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's – look at this Don't bike. waste his time, Chuck. Look at this bike. Why would you I, – I, I don't get the stretch thing. And it's all chromied up and – oh, wait a second. I, oh, Chuck. Huh? Oh, I think I know why he's selling. Take a look below the bike and to the right of the bike. What do you see? I see children's toys. Yep. A lot of children's toys. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I also see a woman standing in the background with kind of not happy uh, body language going on. Is that a child's Mustang? That appears to be a child's Mustang. Yes. <laughs> I am. I am thinking this is a. Uh, this is a. This is a. You better sell. Billy, you gotta sell that bike right now. <laughs> Billy, don't waste my time. I've got to get to the hairdresser tonight. Hurry up, Billy! I got. Si- Why you still have that bike, Billy? There's no place for me to sit on the back. Well, there's not. No, no, it's true. <laughs> Stretch and dropped. Mm-hmm. Billy, the test came back positive. You gotta sell that bike right away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But don't waste his time. Uh, don't waste his time. Mm-hmm. He wants a uh, he wants a Marauder. I I can't imagine the bike he's gonna get for twelve hundred dollars plus two grand. I uh, I. I don't know. <laughs> So he's got a, he needs two grand for something. Yeah, Billy, you're behind on your child support payment again. <laughs> <laughs> the lawyer says it's going to take you two grand this time. Moving on. So our guest this week is all about the Exploder. He thinks it's the coolest new bike in the world, right? It, yeah, I, I was thinking he was going to talk me into buying this KTM Adventure I was just looking at. Yeah, yeah, or maybe like a Goldwing. Ooh. Yeah, one of those off-road Goldwings. I think he's a Goldwing guy. Yeah, I think so too. Let's go ahead. So we're on the line with Andrew Payne, who is some guy I found on the internet, and he followed me. Here. That sounds incredibly creepy. I just want you to know. <laughs> it was really creepy. Actually, Andrew's response when I, I hit him up to, to come on the show was, uh, yeah? <laughs> oh, I guess? I guess? Sure. Well, that's I mean, better uh, than the usual I... blackmail we have to use. <laughs> Andrew takes part in a weekly Twitter chat, Moto Chat, mm-hmm. pound signed. Moto chat? I don't know. I'm not. You sound old. Hashtag Twitter. Yeah. Hashtag. I'm. I'm not. I'm not very Twitter literate. Sorry. To be fair, I'm not so good either. But I get yelled at when I use things inappropriately, so it makes me learn. You're gonna yell at me, Todd? Not yet. Fuck you. <laughs> so yeah, he's we, he's in this like weekly motorcycle bunch of people get together and we we talk motorcycles via Twitter, which seems like a really weird way to do an IM conversation. I gotta mm-hmm. admit. I'm from the old IRC kind of thing, so... You're dating yourself, Chuck. Yeah. It's a bad yeah, scene. I know. Seeing it on Twitter, it, I'm still not quite used to it, but it's it's cool. Uh, we were talking motorcycle uh, choices, size choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Andrew was like, hey, I, I wrote a whole book about uh, small engines, small riding. The book is called Going Small, A Guide to Lightweight Motorcycle Travel. What brought you to write the book, I have to ask, Andrew, because, I mean, you think motorcycle travel and it's like, I need a Goldwing or a GS or a, a boat. A boat? Or is that girl. like a Beamer? Anyway, um, <laughs> I was, I planned a trip for the Americas, right up to Alaska and then south to South America, and I had initially planned to use a small 250 motorcycle, but I got talked into using a Ural. I got talked into using the Ural instead, and I took the Ural on a test trip months before I was supposed to leave. I mean, very close to the actual departure date, just to the Overland Expo, and before I even made it to the Expo, which was in April in 2011, and um, still in Arizona, but much closer to the Mexican border, where it was kind of funny, all the people who were off-roading would say they kept scaring Mexicans out of the bushes. I don't think they had that problem this year in Flagstaff. <laughs> One would but they, uh, even before I got there, I had pretty much decided that the Ural wasn't for me. I like the Euro. It's a fun bike. I mean, I think everyone should buy one, especially since it'll make getting parts a lot easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but traveling by myself, well, it was me and I had a teddy bear, but the teddy bear really didn't take up much space. The space in the Euro, I've never been able to 
fill the sidecar with things. You You're know, not trying hard enough. <laughs> I you need to go to Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> I used for years, I've been traveling. I usually take about a month off every year to go on a motorcycle trip. And the last few years before I left on this longer trip, the trips are getting a little longer, you know, five weeks or six weeks. I was lucky enough to have a lot of vacation time or blackmail potential for my bosses. So they uh, would let me go on these trips. And I always used a uh, old XS1100 and that had a set of better touring bags on the back. And that had everything I needed I could fit in those bags. So when I bought the Ural, which I bought new in 2007. I took the stuff I used to carry in the the vetter bags, and it would barely fill the trunk in the Ural. Mm -hmm. And you guys, I'm sure, have seen a Ural. So, you know, the trunk is actually pretty big. We're talking like, you know, Honda Civic-sized trunk mm -hmm. in the back of this sidecar. Todd, have you ever seen a Ural? No, no, no. That one parked outside got here with somebody else. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, good thing, because I called to have it towed. Oh, damn. <laughs> anyway, by the time I got to the Expo, I pretty much decided to switch back to the 250 and called my mechanic who actually had my 250 at the time and told him that I wasn't taking the Ural anymore. I was going to take the 250. And he now, was why, like, why is that? Is it, uh, did you it? find it was a lot more strenuous riding the Ural? Is that, was that your first time on a, on a hack? Oh, God, no. I've had, I bought it new in 07 and I had, when I left, I had about 40,000 miles on it. Okay. I should tell you, I live in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, obviously. I haven't owned a car since 2004. Nice. It's one of my people. So Wait, the first. He's got a hack. Of course, he's one of your people. Well, I didn't buy the sidecar until 2007. The years before that, I used just a two wheel bike. I used the my big touring XS 1100 the first couple of years. And then I bought a BMW and used that for one winter and decided that that just. How did that go? Not very well. It was a K bike. Uh huh. And um, they don't really make good winter tires. I couldn't find a tire that would not that would take forever to warm up. You know, because it was cold. You know, it's below freezing. But the only thing I liked was the fuel injection. It would always start. That was mm. that was nice. I tried to make it through winter with my Buell, and it was sleepy. You have to accept that you're going to crash a lot. <laughs> But how do you explain that to the highway patrolman who comes up and says, are you stupid? It's pretty funny. The last winter, before I left on the trip, there was, it was March or something, and I rode my XS11 to work. It was like late March, and there was supposed to be some rain in the afternoon, and I got at work at you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. And over the course of my shift, I was supposed to be done at 6 at night, it went from rain to slight chance of flurries to maybe slight accumulation to a winter weather advisory. So when I rode home, we had three inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> I still going to go on the freeway because this may sound silly, but for all the people who want to ride motorcycles in the winter, freeways are good places to be because those are the roads they usually keep clear. Mm -hmm. Unless you're down south where they don't keep any roads clear. Yeah, not state highways. I'm talking like the limited access interstate yeah. techniques. Mm -hmm. And I probably crashed four times in the half mile to get to the freeway on-ramp, and I gave up and just took the surface streets. But twice after I falling over, I had Milwaukee City police officers just roll up and say, yeah, someone called and said you crashed. You hurt? I'm like, nope. See ya. And they took off. <laughs> I got a lecture. <laughs> That's because you're not from, you know, the Milwaukee's kind of a motorcycle town. They probably just figured, eh. And it was nice in the morning. I got called the same kind of deal, like just a sneak bl blizzard. And I tried the same thing to get on the freeway to try to get home and, and outrun it. But the freeway happened to be stopped. And so it just sort of piled up all around me. Yeah. So tell us tell us a little bit about the trip on the 250. How how did, so was the 250 the right choice for that? The 250 was perfect. I can give you one brief anecdotal story to tell you how awesome the 250 was. I met a couple of guys on BMWs in Central America, and 
they may listen to your podcast. I don't know because I they beat me to South America. And I never caught up with them because they were just basically going way faster than I was. Mm-hmm. So I saw them at the Costa Rica Nicaragua border, and then I saw them again in Panama City. And I got through the border first, but they still beat me to Panama City. They were just motoring. They were Americans and complained almost constantly about being stopped all the time and having to pay tourist fines. You know, or you can't you can't be in that lane on a motorcycle, or you pass that person illegally, or you're going too fast, or... I'm pretty you know, sure you ran a stop sign somewhere. <laughs> pretty sure you ran a stop sign somewhere. And the first thing you do when you stop is you hand, they ask you your driver's license. And then you have to pay the fine to get your driver's license back. <laughs> or they just keep it and say, we'll come to the police station later. And a lot of times they will ask for huge fines, and you can sort of dicker them down, because these are just tourist fines. Hmm. But these guys are getting stopped... Just constantly. This is, you know, Central America and South America is supposed to be worse. I can't imagine what it's like for them. But all those places I would get either just waved through or they would, you know, stop and look at the bike and laugh that it was small and say that they had a bike like it at home and then wave me on my way. You I, look like you have money, Beamer yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, basically that's what it was. Oh, big shiny Beamer motorcycle? You smell yeah, like you money. Owe us, you owe us some money. <laughs> the baby tax. Yeah, basically. There was another guy who was driving on a VFR. He would get stopped a lot also, but he never he only got hit with a fine once in Acapulco. Everybody else just wanted to look at the bike. When he got to South America, he had the only VFR on the continent. He tried to get some service work done and the mechanics had never seen one before. <laughs> Oops. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a problem because his, when he got it back from the mechanic, like his rear brake, the first time he applied his rear brake, it seized on the rear wheel. And he didn't, they wouldn't turn the rear wheel and turn anymore. Oops. <laughs> so, or as my bike, you know, drum brakes are the same brakes that everybody has down there. They're even like old. I could get my bike. Anything that was wrong, if I couldn't fix it, the local mechanics were totally familiar with it. There was nothing complicated or weird or. You know, I had a, a computer-controlled ignition box, and I had a spare of those with me. But other than that, my bike was basically nothing more than 40 feet of wiring. It has one fuse, pretty simple. And it weighed 275 pounds wet, and I had probably 40 pounds of luggage until I bought a massively huge tent, and I had about 80 pounds of luggage. All right, well, let's let's talk about the book you wrote. You, it's, a, it's a small book. It's about 40-some pages. Yes. Um, it was a pretty quick, easy reading. And the one thing that stood out to me, first off, and yes, I read your book, Oh, thank you. Thanks for buying my book and supporting my next trip wherever I go. I did homework. The thing that stood out to me the most uh, when I first read it was that you really seemed to kind of de-emphasize the whole bike itself. You know, you you start out talking about the gear you want to take and, you know, your equipment. Any bike, any bike can go. I mean, if you own, you guys obviously own motorcycles. You own motorcycles and you have enough gear to go camping for a weekend, you're set. You can go anywhere in the world you want. You don't need anything else. Well, so here's my deal. I'm, I'm kind of like in the middle of bike shopping now. Right. Don't do it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't ride. Motorcycles are dangerous. Dang. He'll get killed. My brother got his arm ripped <laughs> by wild rampaging. Will the motor? Yeah. I've kind of been kind of looking at the, the bigger adventure bikes because everyone and their sister is manufacturing one now. They're basically like SUVs were 10 years ago. Everybody wants one, although they can't really understand why. If Yamaha had brought the small Tenere over here, I probably would have bought it just for this trip. That's a 650, right? Or? It is. It's a 660, yeah. actually. 660. But I'm totally glad that I didn't because my the 250 that I used on the trip was $65. Nice. <laughs> so I saved a good amount of money to actually spend going places. So how's the bike shopping going? Uh, that's you know that's sort of the thing we're we have you on for because you know talk to me about the small bike choice. Previous guest Austin Vince was very much for a small bike, and yeah. I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around 
you know, even like a 650, like a Versus or Wiestrom? All right. Well, buying a bike, if you already own a motorcycle or you're buying another one, you're buying it because you want it. It's like buying a nice pair of shoes. If you have to be into shoes, you know, you don't need another pair of shoes. You just happen to want another pair of shoes. Yep. I mean, of course, the bikes are a lot more expensive. It depends on what you're planning on doing and what kind of bikes you already have. I mean, if you already have kind of a dually sporty bike, I still call a 650 a mid-sized bike. I know mm-hmm. they're kind of small now in the U.S., but yeah. still a mid-sized bike. You know, if you already have something that fills that same sort of riding role, then you're just you're buying another the same pair of shoes. I'm looking for like a, a touring camping bike. I've uh, My bike right now is, is the Thruxton, right? So it's a cafe racer. It's for zipping around town for commuting. Uh, I want to take a bike. you don't want to take that camping because why? It's shiny. All right, fair enough. He's afraid he'll get it dirty, and then it won't match his leathers anymore, and we can't have that. <laughs> I have taken it camping. You laugh like I'm joking. I know someone who works at a local Harley dealership, and he rides a non-Harley bike. He has a Japanese brand. I don't want to name any names, but he takes his non-Harley bike to the Harley dealer where he works, and they all take the time to clean it for him if he gets it dirty. And <laughs> No, the main reason is the Thruxton doesn't have the, the, the kind of posture I want to tour on. Kind of leaned over a little bit, yeah, that yeah. scrunched up cafe thing. I like the look of that bike too much that I don't want to break that posture. You know what I'm saying? The problem is you've got too nice a pair of shoes. You want like a pair of boots. You can get dirty. Yes, that's exactly right. So, I've already got my stripper heels. Now I need the, some boots. The Tiger costs how much? Uh, the, brand? A bajillion. Brand if you took yeah. it out on nice with the fancy. For the 800, yeah, and, and the Weestrom's about eight. Nine eight grand, the versus is about seven eight grand. And this is like you want to beat up. Why don't you just buy something <laughs> cheap off Craigslist? You guys, I know you read a lot of Craigslist ads. At least they send them to you. you know, <laughs> if you're looking for something that you can smash and not care about, and this is something I tell everyone around here when they're buying their first motorcycle, a lot of people ask me, you know, what should I get? And I tell everyone to buy like an old Honda CB. Something of 600 cc's or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, they still make parts. You can buy them cheap because they've made several gazillion of them. They're everywhere. They're easy to fix when they break. Mechanics Mm -hmm. will usually still work on them. And you just saved yourself thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars that you can now go spend going somewhere. Mm-hmm. As opposed to going deep in the hole on the bike, and now you gotta pay it off or wait till you have that money back to actually go on a trip. When you tour on your on your bike on a smaller bike, do you tour with other people, or is are you pretty much just kind of solo doing your own ride? I have traveled with other people. I will freely admit it is my preference to travel alone. That's about the only thing that Austin and I disagree on. He's very much a group traveler person, likes to travel in a group. I have never been able to do that. I think when you're by yourself, it's easier to meet people on the road. You know, sometimes I don't feel like going anywhere or I like to sleep in the morning or I want to stop and take pictures somewhere and everybody else wants to keep moving or, you know, I only ride till lunch and then I decide that I'm done and they all want to get to this place that they pre-decided they wanted to go to that morning and, you know, maybe or we they, all talked about it, but you know, I'm done riding. I want to stop. Or they all act like they're pushing your 250 up a hill. Um, well, Todd, this is a, <laughs> an, another thing. Austin Vince, I listened to Les podcast last week, and he's big on the dual sports and dirt bikes, and those are awesome, but my 250 is a street bike. It's the street version of Yamaha's XT from the late 70s and early 80s, mm-hmm. and I picked it because it's geared differently. So even with all of my stuff on it, it would still do better than 80 miles an hour. So it wasn't like I was ever going to have, you know, I could go on the interstate if I wanted to, and that worked, sure. you know, or if I was traveling with people, 
I wasn't slowing them down, you know, because I had the speed. I mean, it may take me a while to get that fast, (laughs) but honestly, especially when you got out of the U.S., you're rarely doing better than 50 anyway. The bike would do just fine for that. If you're going to be concentrating your touring mainly in the U.S., because that's pretty much how I see mine, would you still want to go with the small bike or would you want something bigger? I will be honest and say right now I'm very attached to the small bike. It depends very much on where it was going and how it was going to get there. I mean, I still have my XS11. That's actually the bike I've been using since I got back here. I kind of broke my 250 a little bit. (laughs) A little bit? (laughs) This is another brief story about why the small old bike is better than the new bike. I was in, north, well, kind of middle of Chile, north of Santiago in the Atacana Desert. I always say the name wrong. But it's the driest place in the planet. They get less than a millimeter of rain a year. And I was in a town called Copiapo, where I stopped for lunch. And they have excellent steaks there at this gas station on the west side of town, if you're ever in the area. Oh, yeah, because we'll be there next week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you can make it there by next week, that'd be awesome. But good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just saying, if you're there, make sure you stop and get a steak. And I put some oil on the bike, but I forgot to replace the oil cap, and I rode off into the desert. <laughs> and, of course, as you guys probably know, that causes the oil to spray out everywhere. And it took me about 30 miles to really notice that something was wrong. That must have been some steak. This might not count as broken a little. So I had, to tra- I had oil with me, so I put some more oil. I put the oil I had left back in it's a nice German couple on a BMW, two up on a big Beamer. If you're going two up, then big bikes are totally... I- and kind of, in total honesty, as long as you're out riding, I don't care what you're riding, as long as you actually go on a trip and don't just buy the big adventure bike to go to Walmart, they gave me some more oil, and we kind of hodgepodge up with some bottle caps and electrical and duct tape, a cap to go over the top to try to keep the oil from, oil from spraying everywhere. And I turned around and rode back into Copiapo, where I got more oil and a replacement oil cap from the one motorcycle mechanic who was in town. But after that, the bike wouldn't start. So I ended up having to do a top-end rebuild, in the parking lot of the hotel that I found there in Copiapo. The piston had partially melted and seized the rings, and it had scored the inside of the cylinder. So I had the whole thing apart, and I used a knife on a Leatherman to hack away at the piston until the rings had moved, and put the whole thing back together again, and then I was back on the road. (laughs) So try that with your shiny new BMW. Wow. There you have it. Small, easy-to-work-on bikes. I actually bought the bike because, you know, I was... If I decide to leave it in the country, which initially I thought about doing when this one, I'm like, well, why am I going to bother fixing it? I'll just hop in a bus, take the bus down to Santiago, maybe take the bus somewhere else, fly home, whatever. And I had just hate mail about leaving the bike behind. It's like, you got to bring that bike back. I'm like, well, no, I don't. It wasn't expensive <laughs> enough to ship home. But the bike, had, I named the bike, and it had gotten, I guess, pretty popular. So I ended up getting to Santiago. I ended up shipping it home from there. I had to send some money back home for some other stuff, helping out friends. And I decided just to come home and then save Argentina to do all at once because I was going to have to pick and choose in order to see in Argentina. And Argentina has just got too much stuff in it mm-hmm. to pick and choose. So the bike came back. It's at the shop in Milwaukee, which is an excellent vintage motorcycle repair place. He was surprised that the bike ran at all after he saw that I did do it. I guess running for 40 or 50 miles, however long it was, without oil isn't good for an engine. Less so when it's 90 degrees and really dry. Mm. So apparently it was in pretty bad shape. <laughs> I hadn't read that in a book. It no, I'm not, I'm not sure that's in my shop manual. I no. double-checked my shop manual, and it doesn't say anything about that. So I don't understand what the problem was. How long was your trip six altogether? Months. Six months. Seven months. Six, seven months going up to Alaska, turning around and then heading south? Yep. How many miles did you cover? Just over 25,000. Now, are you married? No. Do you have family? Well, of course. P- pets? Um, I had a cat 
Uh, my father passed away in 07. That was actually one of the things that prompted the trip. Okay. And um, my mom had always cat sit for me when I was on my other road trips. So when I was leaving for this longer time, my mom volunteered to take my cat. And is my best understanding right now, I don't get the cat back. <laughs> the cat stays. The cat so how, stays. How recent was this, the trip? Um, I got back into the U.S. in January. Oh, okay. Wow. And I kind of puttered around the U.S. for a little bit, in the Midwest. And I just got back to Milwaukee last week, Monday. Wow. So you're fresh off the road then. I am fresh off the road. But I did change bikes. I bought a car. It's the first car I've owned in a while. It's kind of weird Sorry. to have a car. It's strange. Like but that. now you can make out with chicks in the bag. It's cool. Um, you're not really my type, but I guess thanks for the offer. I said chicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was confused there. It's hard to tell over though. So what's the next plan then? For you, have you, are you already planning the next trip or are you just – I would of- like to finish Argentina. I figure that will take about two months. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Stop yelling at your guests, Chuck. I'm sorry. So I just had a whole Madonna flashback there. I want to go back and finish Argentina. I looked into renting motorcycles, actually, because I'll just be there for a couple months. But I'll probably end up just shipping the bike back to Argentina and driving around for a while and shipping it back because it's too long. It gets to the point where if you're going to someplace for a couple weeks, it's cheaper to rent. But if you're going to be there for a couple months, it's cheaper to ship. Mm-hmm. And then I had the person, the guy in the BFR, actually. <laughs> I met him in Canada, and we literally bumped into each other off and on all the way south to Chile. And we only rode together like one day. But it's like every few days we'd run into each other again. He said he's planning this trip from the U.K. to New Zealand as his next trip and back. And it, it kind of stuck in my head. You know, I kind of want to go to New Zealand. I think that would be fun. Did he explain that New Zealand is actually an island? There are ferries, actually, that connect New Zealand and Australia to Southeast Asia. Ha-ha! Interesting. Didn't know that. Check in, mate. If you ever want to uh, develop a really horrible addiction for going across borders, you need to go to a website called Horizons Unlimited. It's one word, .com. Yes. They will empower you in all things in long overland motorcycle travel, and I refuse to be held responsible for you leaving the country after going there. So the main reason why I wrote the book, by the way, is because when I decided to go with a small bike, which I had initially planned before I switched to the Ural, so this was, I had, there was some time here, there was nothing for traveling on small motorcycles available. Mm-hmm. closest thing was, Aerostitch has a book called Lightweight Unsupported lightweight motorcycle travel for the terminal case or something like that, mm-hmm. which you used to be able to get for free if you made a big enough order at Aerostitch, but I don't think they do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the guy on that bike, well, for one thing, he was carrying more stuff than I carried on the Ural, but he was on a 650, just a really small bike. No, it doesn't generally classify as lightweight, per se. It was a KLR besides, which is extra especially heavy. Dr. Fraser wrote a book called Lightweight Motorcycle Travel, but he was on a Harley Ultraglide. <laughs> uh, so, I don't think that word means what you think it means, <laughs> Greg Fraser's been around the world six times now, seven times. So he clearly he knows his stuff, but this was not a book written for someone who wants to use a small motorcycle. Right. And Austin Vince is awesome. I actually met him at the 2011 Overland Expo, although I would put money in the fact he barely remembers me other than the guy who showed up on the Ural. But he's doing awesome things for promoting small bikes, but there's yeah. still, you know, people want to, we're Americans, we're consumers, we want to buy something. We want to buy something. So, and there's nothing out there, you know, there's no how-to guides for people who want to take little bikes on long trips. You know, yep. you go and do a dealer somewhere and you say, yeah, I want to buy a 250, this is just for traveling around town. You can't take it on the freeway. You can't take it out of the city. You'll outgrow it in two weeks. You'll outgrow it in two weeks. You, you, you should start out on something like a 650 so you've got more power. And that's just 
It just isn't true. I mean, there it's are- really interesting because the Hor- the Horizons Unlimited guys, all the Overlanders, really favor small bikes versus anything that's coming out now. Yeah, you know, new from manufacturers. They they say get a DR, or get a small anything. Yeah, six fifty is about that. as big as you want to go, unless you find like you know an old GS eighty or something. Yeah, Tiffany Coates is driving around one of those, but she bought it because someone told her that was the bike she had to buy, and it just sort of worked out for her. You know, I can't. Again, she's been around the world umpteen million times. I haven't even technically made it around once. But, you know, oh, still, you well, in that case, this interview is over. We got we got yeah. to get the other person on the line. Terrible. We have a bar that we have to observe here. Again, it's basically as long as you end up going and you're not using the bike as an excuse to delay leaving, then fine, take whatever you want. But go. There was a couple that I met, and this was I met them not long after sitting in on Austin Vincent Lowe's price to even talk and. They got into a real, honestly, had an argument with each other afterwards because they had been planning to go to Alaska. And have you been to Alaska now? I can tell you Alaska is really, it takes a while to get there. It's farther away than you think, but it's not that hard to go there. It's like if you plan a trip to the Grand Canyon and you, and you live in like the Northeast, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same kind of time and space and just mental commitment. But going to the Grand Canyon is easy because it's in the U.S. Alaska, you have to drive through Canada and that's scary. There are bears there. Canadians. Canadian there. bears. They eat you right up. Socialist bears. Socialist, Socialist bears. bears with their damn maple leaves. They eat everyone equally. <laughs> but they just, they were just yelling because they were planning to go and they put the trip off like every year for the last four years. They put it off because there had been some new gidget that they wanted to buy for the bikes before they left. And, you know, at the end of this talk with them, they were like, you know, they could have, this was, they could have left years ago and saved thousands. They could have been done and planning the next trip. But every year they put it off because there was something else they wanted to buy or something else they, you know, thought the bikes needed to have done. Mm. You know, they'd made it to the expo. If they rode their bikes there, then they probably could have already left for Alaska, assuming they could take the, you know, month off of work. If I was going to go do an Alaska trip, you'd think about a month to get there and back? I would say if you didn't want to really rush and, like, go up the Continental Divide, like through Banff and Jasper and see Whitehorse and Watson Lake and maybe do Top of the World, I would probably say between four and six weeks okay. to do it all without really super rushing. Mm-hmm. You could probably shave it a little shorter. I know there's someone who is here, uh, southeastern Wisconsin, and he does an Alaska trip annually every year, and he gets there and back in four weeks. But he shoots straight across the plains, you know, just hauling until he gets to Alaska, and then he slows down and explores, and then he hauls back. He's had enough of the socialists. <laughs> well, if you're going to cut, cut across Canada, you have to go across the plains when you're over here, and there's nothing worse than the Canadian plains. They make the oh the trans can yeah they make the the plains down here in the, in the U.S. seem like nothing. They're like our, our plains are like Disney World by comparison. Basically, really? and they're just they go on for forever and ever and ever and ever. And then when you think you're almost done, you get some more. So have you turned anyone to your way of thinking from, you know, they were like, hey, I want to get this GSA, you know, adventure. And, you know, they've talked to you and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get a, a GS500 and do it on, on that. Honestly, no. Haven't managed to do it that I'm aware of. But I keep trying. To be kind of total honesty, I'm a huge safety person. You know, I'm, you know, helmet, riding gear, the whole thing. And I work as a paramedic and you think we would know better, but I would say <laughs> two thirds of the people who ride to my work or people who are like around work and stuff, well, they're all on Harleys because we're in Milwaukee, home of Harley Davidson, and they don't wear helmets. Again, it's a choice, it's, it's legal, it's a choice here in Wisconsin to not wear a helmet. I think it's a poor choice, but it's a choice. You're allowed to do it, so. So no, I haven't ever managed to convince someone to get a small bike. I have managed to convince some people to actually 
go on longer road trips. I don't think I've ever managed to get someone to actually cross a border yet, but, you know, I'm sure people are encouraged by the fact they do it mm-hmm. and had to survive. There was a pool going on for how many days I make it into Mexico before I was shot. So... <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. Everyone was betting on everyone. Was just absolutely certain that I was good. Because this was when it was all of the news was the big drug wars along the Mexican border. It's like all you ever heard about, you know, if Mexico, yeah. it's because some other American or Americans just got shot or went missing or something happened. Or there's another city with 300 dead people. You know, and I didn't see, I never saw anybody shoot a gun. You know, I barely saw any guns when I was going through, especially northern Mexico. It's fine. So Andrew Payne's book is... Going Small, A Guide to Lightweight Motorcycle Travel. Available at Amazon, and I think you can get the print version from Barnes & Noble, and it should have just become available in print in the UK and Germany. We'll throw up all the links on our page. Well, another another person who decided the Ural wasn't quite the touring ring for a completely different reason. So what do you think about his whole point of, you know, going small? Well, I think it's it, – it, he makes a couple of good points about it, which notably for a lot of situations, it is totally a thing to do. The uh, the getting pulled over thing springs to mind. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in foreign countries. Mm-hmm. You, you're yep. going to blend better. The easy to fix apparently with a pocket knife inside your cylinders, which we don't recommend here at Wheel Nerds <laughs> unless you really have to. Well, you know, when you're in the South American countries like that, mm-hmm. bikes like that are what they're riding there. Yeah. So that's what their mechanics are going to be familiar with. Well, he makes another good point about it is the cost of ownership and operation of those things is basically nothing. Everything's low cost with those bikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes sense. I could get into it. It's kind of making me want a small bike. Uh yeah, I, I think I'm st- I'm still kind of leaning toward the middleweight myself. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's there's just been one too many times you guys have pushed me up parley on a, <laughs> on the Ninja Two Fifty. <laughs> you can't take it anymore. That's my main thing. I keep coming back to is if you're riding with a bunch of other people, uh-huh. and their smallest bike is an eight hundred, uh-huh. I just can't feel like you're going to be holding them back. Yeah, you get used to holding a group back with the Ural pretty quickly, and then you just kind of ride your own. Thing. They're like, screw you guys. You just do your own thing. I'm going to back my Euro up under this trailer, and I will see you fuckers in Colorado. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> so, Darren wrote to us about a Weestrom. He writes, Wheel Nudes, I'm researching tires for my 2009 Weestrom. I've had it a couple of months, and it will need new rubber soon. Currently, it has Metzler Tourants on the front and rear. I live and ride in Middle Tennessee. I'm like most guys, I assume. I'd like to be off pavement more... But there is more pavement than dirt roads. Sure. With that being said, what tires do you guys like for a Wii? I'd like to know what shoes Todd has on his, his Strom as well. P.S. <coughs> Team Todd. <coughs> have, either, <coughs> have either of you guys ridden the Transamerica Trail? I enjoy the show. You guys always make me laugh, and I really enjoy your guests. Well, uh, let's see. Tires for the Wii's Trom. First of all, not the Tourances. I really did not think much of the two rounds mm-hmm. they are i guess pretty sticky but the I, I don't like the profile of the tire i don't think it does anything good for the bike i would look very strongly at the anarchy twos okay. or the uh, avon distanzia those are kind of my two go-to tires and i'll mix them freely i really like the scorpion trails mm-hmm. i'm not sure if they make those for the strom or not yeah i don't know if I they have them in that size them. Kind of the, the standbys for the Strom, you've got the uh, the Death Wings that the older Stroms came with. Don't buy those. The Trail Wings. Well, why, why would you buy a, a tire named Death Wings? Well, it's called, they're, called the tra- <laughs> they're called the Trail Wings, and the older Stroms came stock with them, and they sucked ass. What's the wheel sizes on the Strom? Uh, the standard adventure bike size. I can't remember what it is. 20, 19 inch? I think it was a 19 front, 17 back, something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah the Anakis, the Distanzias, and the Two Rounds are pretty much kind of the three big 
big name tires you can get for it. Mm-hmm. You can get TKCs and serious dirt tires like that, but reasonably, if you want a good road tire that does okay off road, Distanzios are the uh, or the Anakis. I, I really like the Anakis. I think I have Anakis on both ends right now. Okay. But like I said, I will cheerfully swap them in and out with the Stanzias as well. Okay. I'm also quite fond of those. Well, Darren, I hope that answers your question and nobody likes you. Everyone likes Nobody Trump. likes you. What have you learned this week, Chuck? Nobody likes you. I've learned that everyone likes me and Chuck is jealous. That's not true. Just wait. Shut up. You'll get a Strom and everyone will like you too. <clears throat> and everyone will come over to your Strom and ignore my rat bag. I mean, the whole reason for me not to get a Strom is you. <laughs> There you go. And I'm about to have a kid, so I'm not really going to be riding very much, and no one will know I have a Strom. Yeah, that's true. And plus, I would get the new e Strom just because it doesn't look like your bike. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Andrew talked about, you know, why are you getting a new bike when you could just buy a used one off Craigslist, and I wanted to tell him because it's Todd. <laughs> because if I look like Todd, everyone will think I'm with him. I don't want to be like Todd. Everyone should be like Todd. No. That would be a smelly, slimy, sticky world. Uh, I'm against that. Stop doing that. And that's all we got time for this week. Until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. Someone get me out of here. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.